Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody get a good night's rest? All right. How many hunters are not here today? So if, they, if your friend is hunting today, then you need to make certain that you point them out tomorrow, okay? So we know who the spiritual ones are. And if they did go hunting, they better get something. So how many of your children are here today? We know this? About half. About half that's fair. <laughs> the, the spiritual half. There you go. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. Uh, yesterday, you know, we looked at that God wants us to be one flesh. And then we also looked at that to nourish, nurture this concept of one flesh, we need to submit to one another. Uh, you know, we need to adopt the mind of Jesus Christ and look at each other's needs instead of our own. And when we meet the needs of the other, you know, in areas like communication and activity and romance, we're just naturally going to draw closer together. We're going to find that we can find harmony with one another. We're going to know each other so much better. We're going to meet each other's needs and thereby become one flesh. And so I want to continue on with this thought process about this one flesh here this morning. And in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, Jesus says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath put to, joined together, let not man put asunder. And so, you know, as, as we said last night, you know, the great ways to nurture is to submit to one another, communication, activity, romance. But this is not the main reason why God wants us to be one flesh. You know, God didn't institute marriage uh, just so that we could laugh together and play together and make whoopee together, though all of those are great. And he puts his stamp of approval on every single one of them. That's not really why he wants us to be one flesh. In, in verse 9 there, when it says that he joined them together, it literally means yoked together. And, and I am certain that all of you realize that, you know, yokes were... Uh, just wooden cross pieces that were attached over the necks of two animals and, uh, and, uh, and then attached also to the plow so, or a cart sometimes that would help the animals move together so that they would act in coordination together as they pulled whatever was coming in behind them. And so by this device, the two animals were able to accomplish more together than they would have been able to do so apart. You know, for instance, a normal pulling her horse, they tell us, can pull about 8,000 pounds. And so you figure if you hook two of them up, you know, most of us decent math, we'd say 16,000. But that's not the case. If you put two pulling horses together, they say they can usually pull about 24,000 pounds. It's not just because with together they can overcome that friction that kind of makes it difficult there at the start. But they say the two horses will actually be such an encouragement to one another that it gives them an extra oomph to get that extra power moving forward. And this is the whole idea of what God wants in our marriages, that we can accomplish more together than we would ever do so apart. Accomplish what? Accomplish things for the glory of God. And, and so by the very nature of us being yoked together, we should have an encouragement with one another and be able to pull together where we can accomplish much more than we ever would do so if we were not, if we were still broken apart. And so we can ask ourselves, well, why, why is that the case? Why does that take place? Well, I think Ecclesiastes chapter 4 probably gives us a good idea of this. In verses 9 through 11, it says, 
two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? I felt that way last night. I was glad to have my wife in there with me. You know, this isn't Phoenix, you know. When I left, it was 72 and sunny, and it's 26 this morning. I was like, this is not good. And so I was glad to have my warm wife there beside me. But it says, that, you know, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him in a threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so in these verses, we see four different ways we can help each other be more productive. You know, first, we can enjoy the fruit of our labor together. You know, when we accomplish something, we have someone to enjoy it with. And that's always a blessing, isn't it? Don't you, don't you love being around other people when you actually accomplish something? And it's almost like it, it, encourages, it encourages you again. You know, I was always a I uh, played a lot of golf when I was growing up and things like that. And every once in a while you'd hear about somebody would make a hole in one, but they'd be all alone. And it's like, well, that's like not making it at all. I mean, it's like, you know, who can you enjoy it with, you know? And everybody's like, yeah, sure, you made a hole in one, whatever. And so, but it's always so much more fun to just have somebody there with you to rejoice in the victories that you had. You know, we can feed off each other's excitement and we can feed off each other's energy. We can cheer each other on as we strive towards different achievements and different goals. And so the second thing he says here is that we can lift one another up. And so this shows that not only are two better than one during the good times, but we are better than one during the bad times as well. You know, everyone falls down. You know, not everyone, though, has someone to pick them back up. You know, sometimes we fall due to weariness. We just, you know, life can be incredibly busy. A lot of stress can be involved. You know, we can become weary with that which we're trying to accomplish. And it's always good to have somebody there beside you that can either come alongside you and help you when you're just beat, you know, or you're not feeling well and just have somebody encourage you in that regard. Sometimes we get tripped up by unforeseen, you know, situations. And so we fall down there and we need somebody just kind of come along and, and, and give us a hand and kind of get us on the way once more. But sometimes we fall, fall because of our sinful flesh. You know, in those times, man, we are blessed to have a godly spouse by our side. You know, I know Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And I can't tell you how many times over the last 29 years the flesh has got the best of me. And, you know, when that takes place, Heather usually gives me a rebuke, uh, you know, or admonishment or something along that line. But then she helps me back up and she encourages me. Come on, we can do better than this. And there's been times when Heather, over the last 29 years, has, she's been the one that's given in to the flesh. And I'll come along and I'll try to help her and maybe rebuke her sometimes, admonish her, instruct her, and then we move on again. And I'm so thankful that we've had each other through that because both of us struggle with this thing we call the flesh. The third thing we see in this is we can give comfort to one another. And as the verse in Ecclesiastes implies about that warmth just by being near each other, there's just something blessed to know that you're going through something with someone else. It provides a comfort, you know. It certainly does help us with our fear, just to know someone else is there. I understand that God never leaves us and He never forsakes us, and I'm so grateful for that. But sometimes it's good to have somebody that's physically there with you as well through those hard times and through those difficult times of life. And then finally, we can protect one another. 
you know, whether it be physical, verbal, or spiritual attacks, it is a blessing when you have someone that has your back. You know, the truth is we all have blind spots, don't we? You know, we don't see everything. And so sometimes there might be a danger that's coming toward us and we're not cognizant of it. Uh, you know, and so it's good to have someone there beside you and say, I don't know if you're noticing this, but, you know, this is going on. I'm noticing this as far as your your spirit, honey. You know, I noticed that it ain't quite right toward this individual. I think there might be a little bit of a root of bitterness getting there. Sometimes that could actually be a physical thing. And, you know, there might be somebody, a predator type of individual that's coming for a spouse or something like that. And you need to say, hey, you need to beware of that individual. They're up to no good. And so there's a million different things that we we can't always see, and it's great to have somebody else that can see those blind spots for us. And so these are just some of the reasons why we can produce more together than we can apart. It is amazing the benefits just good relationships bring, and none more than the spouse. You know, for instance, you know, past studies, uh, they do this every once in a while. It always shows that those who have good relationships do better, or, or those who have good relationships but bad eating habits still usually live longer than those with good eating habits and bad relationships. And, and so, you know, you can go out there and you can smoke and you can drink and you can eat unhealthy. But if you have some good relationships, for whatever reason, you tend to live a little bit longer. So I've always, I, the way I've applied that to my own life, it's better to eat ice cream with your wife than broccoli alone. And so, it is, uh, I, I, I just stay close to her and just, you know, to get, get, I miss Brahms is what I miss. And so, you know, and so you enjoy that time. But the fact is, is that there's something about that closeness. You know, relationships give us a reason to continue on. It gives us the strength to continue on. And that's why people with good relationships tend to live longer. But how can this take place? So that's why this can take place, you know, with two of us being able to accomplish more. But how does this take place? Well, we must fulfill the roles that God has ordained for us. You know, this means that the husband has to take the lead in this. He has been commissioned by God to be the head of the home. And so the direction that we are going or to lead our family should be determined, obviously, first and foremost, by the will of God through the scriptures. And, and this can be found through, first through the scriptures and second you know, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit when it becomes more def definitive. And, you know, we need to be constantly in prayer about that. How are we leading our families? How are we leading our spouse? And once we know where we're to go, then we can then begin to formulate a plan on how we need to get there. And this is important because we need to count the cost before we tackle any endeavor. You know, in 1911, uh, they say that there were two groups uh, that sought to be the first to the South Pole. And one of the groups was led by a Norwegian man by the name of Roald uh, Amundsen, and the other was led by a British naval officer named uh, Robert Falcon Scott. And the two decided to take completely different routes and used vastly different methods to try to get there. Uh, Roland, Roland Amundsen uh, studied the uh, Eskimos and other uh, individuals that uh, lived there in the Arctic area and did some travel there. And he determined that the best way to get to the South Pole would be to use dog sleds. And so that's what he decided to do. So therefore, when he assembled his team together, he decided, I'm going to pick some expert dog sledders. And then he picked up a couple of also expert skiers. And Amundsen you know, gave great attention to detail. 
knowing the high cost of making any mistakes on this voyage. And so he located, he stockpiled uh, different supply depots all along the route, and he also equipped his people with the best possible gear. And because of his thoughtful planning before taking off, their trip was fairly problem-free, even though it was over rugged terrain. Uh, the worst thing that really happened to them is one of the men uh, in their group experienced an infected tooth and they had to have it extra, uh, extracted along the way. And I know for that man, that had to be brutal, but, but that's about what, the only thing that came along their path. The other group, though, had a completely different story. You know, Mr. Scott decided to use motorized sledges and ponies to cart their gear to their destination. And only five days into the trip, their sledges would no longer work. They froze up and they just broke down. And so the ponies weren't much help either because they weren't ready for that frigid weather. And so when they reached the front of the Transarctic Mountains, all the animals had to be killed. And so as a result, the team members actually had to haul the sledges and the equipment themselves. And it was just brutal work. And he had also supplied his team with very poor equipment. You know, every member of his team ended up developing frostbite. And on top of everything else, his supply depots were too far apart and they were poorly stocked. So the team was always low on water and low on food. And so they were always in a weakened capacity. And so the team arrived at the South Pole finally on January the 17th, 1912. But that was more than a month after Amundsen's team had already arrived and left. And so as if that wasn't disappointing enough, the return trip ended up being even worse. You know, one member of the party uh, developed, uh, became depressed and he just pretty much laid down and died. Another member of the party had frostbite so bad that he could barely even walk and so he knew he was becoming a detriment to the others because they were moving so slowly. And so it's recorded that he just walked out into blizzard and so that he would no longer be a detriment to the others and he died. And Scott and his final two team members made it only a little farther north before they could no, go for, no further. Uh, the return trip had already taken two months and they were still 150 miles from their base camp. And it was at this location that they just stopped and they died. We, we know all of these things just because they kept journals and, and, and they were later found. And so here you had two groups wanting to accomplish the same thing but one of them understood and put together a good plan where the other side did not. And men, we don't wanna make the same mistake as Mr. Scott over here. You know, we don't wanna just know where we're going, we wanna know how to get there. We're to be leaders. And so, for instance, when Heather and I, when we got married, one of the first things we did is we decided we wanna know what does the Bible have to say about this? Where is, how should we chart our course? And so certainly we studied the scriptures, but one thing we also decided to do is that we were going to meet, read a marriage book every single year for the first five years of our marriage, and that's what we did. We've married, read many since that point, but that first five years we made a committed effort so that we would read different authors that were scripturally based and that we chart off this plan as we began to continue to move forward. The next thing we did is, you know, Pastor Durrell came along when he came to Eastland and started doing his purposeful parenting. 
We wanted to have children, so we thought, you know what, well, we need to know how to do this. We, we, we had been children, we'd been trained by our parents and things like that. We knew some things that worked in their lives, some things that didn't, but we'd never had a good, just solid, uh, you know, uh, 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 type of a plan put in place for us to know how to rear children in a way that would be pleasing to God. So we went through his purposeful parenting two different times, and we didn't have kids yet. And why? Because we knew we wanted children. We were hoping we'd be blessed when we went through it a third time after we had children. And so moved on from there. But we've had a plan in place for that deal. Then we went through Dave Ramsey's financial peace course. Why? Because we knew we need to have a financial plan for our course. What am I saying is it's not enough just to have this vision out here. You, you know, a, 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 a desire without a plan is just a, a wish, you know, and it doesn't mean that you're going to get there. And men, our families and our spouses need to know we know where we're headed and we have a plan to get there. And it's not just something we came up in these brains, but it's something that comes straight from the word of God. You know, you need to have that plan so that you know that it's going to work in the end. And so where it is the husband's position to lead, it is the wife's position to help. You know, your husband needs your help in formulating this plan. Why? Because you will see things that he won't see. I mean, guys, we've got to be humble in this area. I mean, let's face it. If you're like me, I can't even usually see the leftovers that are hidden behind the milk in the refrigerator, you know? And, and so Heather goes, they're right there. They're right there. No, they're not. Yeah, it's right there. Oh, oh never mind. It is there. And so, you know, if we can't see that, how do we think we're going to see everything else that we need to see going on with our life's plan for us and our spouse and our family? And so, wives, we need your input here. Because, again, you're going to see things that we're not going to see. He's got to be the leader. He's got the one that charts the course. But you can certainly be a help to him to kind of point out some things from the scriptures, from your own life, understanding your own family needs. And so you need to speak up at that particular time. But every wife ought to seek to be the best helpmeet that she can possibly be. And this means that you need to always be growing and expanding your spheres of understanding and your spheres of expertise. You know, you are commanded to be submissive. You are not commanded to be weak. And I'm telling you, that has been a weird phenomenon to me that happens many times in independent Baptist ranks. We get this idea that submissiveness means weakness, and it doesn't mean anything like that. You know, I think, you know, we are to be, you are to be meek individuals, not weak. I get on a horse, I want that horse to be trained. You know, I don't like falling off a horse. It's, one, it's high. Two, it's an incredibly powerful animal. But you get on a good horse, and that thing is a very meek animal, but it is anything but weak. It has the power to do great damage to one's life, or it has the power to pull things and to get to one place to the other. But it's power under control, and that's what we need from you ladies. You know, if you always say something like, well, whatever you think, dear, I got news for you. That may be exhibiting submission, but you are not being a help, and you are to be both. You know, no man should be doing everything that he thinks. That is not a good place for any man to be. I got news for you. And so, you know, you, you just read Proverbs 31, ladies, that is not a weak woman at all. I mean, you listen to that virtuous woman that is descriptive there, you know, notice how knowledgeable and industrious she was. 
She seeketh wool and flax and work willingly with her hands. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is night and giveth meat to her household. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth the vineyard. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She maketh her coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is in the law of kindness. And so right there we just see somebody that's very industrious. We see someone who has a understanding of what's going on around them because she knows the price of a field. You know, we see somebody has wisdom. So in other words, she's taking in some knowledge and applying it through their life and she can give that wisdom to others. I mean, is there any wonder why you get to the end of that particular chapter and it says her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also and praiseth her. Why? Because she's in a tremendous help. And that's what you are called to be. Now, once your plan is formulated, once you know you've got all of that together and you've got your help meet by your side, then what needs to happen is you need to pull together. That's the whole point. You need to pull together. And so this means that both parties have to pull. You know, you can't have one pulling the other along plus the load. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in America today, you know, we've been talking about that with the Durrells here just the last couple of days, is just flat out laziness. Just the flat out laziness that we have in our country today. I mean, we see it in workplaces all over the place and we're seeing it in our marriages as well. You know, it's not your fault if your parents spoiled you and did not equip you for marriage and for life. It is your fault though, if you remain there. You know, one of the greatest blessings of the church to me is that you have people around you who can and many times want to edify you. You know what the word edify means? It means to strengthen. It means to build up. You know, you need to let your church body do this. You should want your church body to do this. Men need to ask other men how to work hard, how to work smart, how to rear children, and help their wives, you know, around the house. Women need other women to teach them how to help their husband, how to care for their children, how to learn new skills, and how to keep the house. And so we have all of this wisdom that's around us. Take advantage of it. Shadow someone. Help them to let you understand. If you see a woman, you're like, now that's a helpmate. Then find out how in the world did she get to that point. You know, again, increase your knowledge of these things. And so don't just go through with blinders on, just kind of feeling your way through. You have the scriptures. You have the Holy Spirit. You have others that are around you. Come up with a good plan. Put that plan in place and then work it together. And then we have to pull in unison. You know, a plan is only good as it's worked. Uh, you can't have one of you trying to remain true to the plan and the other one going off script. You, you can't have one of you trying to save up money for your kid's college tuition fund, the other one spending it as fast as it comes in. You can't have one of you trying to help edify the church by using your spiritual gifts and then the other one setting up activities every weekend, you know, that are out of town or, you know, taking the children away here. You, you can't have one of you trying to instill discipline into the children and the other one spoiling them rotten. You have to pull together. You have to be a team. Because remember, two pulling horses can pull three times what one can, but if they're not pulling together, it's going to be detrimental. You're not going to pull as much as one could pull because they're having to pull that load plus whichever direction you're heading off in the other way. And, and so it is this whole idea of being yoked together and moving in coordination with one another. 
Somebody might say, well, do we have a biblical example of this taking place? And I really do think we do. I think the best example of this in the scriptures is manifested by Aquila and Priscilla. You know, they are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and every single time they are mentioned together. You know, it was as if you couldn't think of one of them without having to think of the other. Uh, they obviously worked as a cohesive team. You know, according to Acts chapter 3, uh, 18 verse 3, it says they were tent makers by trade. And so they worked together to pay the bills. Now, I'm not saying that every couple should start up their own business. I don't think that's what you have to bring out of that. But we should definitely be working towards the same end to pay those bills. You know, to take care of one another and make certain we have what we need as a family. But they not only worked together to meet their personal needs, but the Bible says they ministered together for the glory of God. You know, they became great blessings to the Apostle Paul. You know, in writing to the believers in Rome, he said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. And then they were able to disciple a learned Jewish teacher named Apollos. Acts chapter 18 and verse 26 says, They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Did you catch that? You know, a woman was helping Apollos become a better servant of Jesus Christ. They and them. It wasn't just Aquila. It was Priscilla as well. You know, you ladies, you can't preach. That's been given to the man. That's his responsibility. You're not to teach a group of men. But that does not mean you can't speak outside the church and help a man grow in his faith in Jesus Christ. There are so many of you ladies when I was here at Eastland Baptist Church that instilled into me such great wisdom as a young man, helping me to grow in my walk. And you should always do so. That's what it means to be a helpmeet. That's what it means to be this strong, meek woman that God's designed you to be. And then when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the couple and he were still at Ephesus. And they were allowing the church in Ephesus to actually meet in their home. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19 states, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And so again and again and again in the New Testament, we see this couple working together, ministering together, pulling together for the glory of God. And so, you know, those of us who grew up or enjoy watching sports we know the importance of teamwork, don't we? You know, uh, we have all watched teams begin the year with so much promise because they got all these all-stars on it, or all these all-pro players, and we're like, boy, that team is loaded, man. They are going to go somewhere. Uh, you know, if not the playoffs, they're going to win, you know, the championship this year. And then there's always teams that you watch, and then they just don't do anything. I mean, it's like they just implode, you know. Uh, if those are like basketball. I mean, the Lakers seem to be that uh, over the last few years. They have loaded with talent. They can't do anything, which I, personally I love because I live in Phoenix and we can't stand the L.A. Lakers. And, and so but the fact is, is, you know, we see this take place. What happens? They don't play as a team. They don't play as a team. They got loads of talent, loads of ability, but they don't pull together. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how smart you are as individuals. It doesn't matter how many skills that you have and how much, uh, you know, just uh, knowledge that you possess. If you are not pulling together, you are going to frustrate one another and you're going to fail to accomplish that which God would have you to do. A you know, legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, once said, 
Individual commitment to a group effort. That is what makes a team work, a company work, a society work, a civilization work. And might I add, it makes a marriage work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for your word and for your instruction it brings. And Lord, I would ask that you would help us to see why you would have us to be one flesh. And so that is because you want to yoke us together to do great things for your glory. And Lord, through that process, Lord, that means that our marriage will be what it ought to be and our families will be what they ought to be. And Lord, our, our ministries in the church will do all that you desire for them to do. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to see this, the practical implications of this, and that we as men, Lord, would take the time to make preparation as we set the, chart, uh, set the course for our family as we move together. And that, Lord, our wives will be the help means that they can be, that, Lord, that they would always be constantly trying to grow, in, not just in their spirituality, but just in their, their understanding of the world in which they work within. And that, Lord, that they would understand their husbands and understand the best way that they can come and assist him. And then, Lord, once we recognize where we're headed and once we understand what our roles are to be, then help us just to begin to pull. God, give us the grace just to be obedient in this area and that we would pull together, that we would not get sidetracked, but we would just thrust forward together for your glory and for the good of others in this world. And Lord, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was a help, wasn't it? In science, there's a principle called synergy. I think most of you understand the idea of synergy, and that's the idea that components... Some components, once added together, are greater than the sum of their parts. So, like in math, one plus one equals, but when you put two humans together, it's supposed to be more. Is that simple? So, here is how I've come to think about that. As a Christian, we have a responsibility, and my responsibility is this, is that my interaction with every single one of you is after that interaction, you know, if it's with you, Josh, then you should walk away from that interaction more, better. Okay, so it, in that text in Mark, it's fascinating. It says God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man should leave his wife. That seems like a weird association. But the whole idea is what it goes back to Genesis. He was alone and that's not good. So when he gave him Eve, he was more. Life was better. So, Terry, come here. It's, it's like this. You know, if, if, you know, here's where I am in happiness and fulfillment and ability, and then in turn I join together, you know, then together we, we can do this, but really it should be more than that. We, we, should, we should be able to be here. But God forbid, God forbid, stay right there, <laughs> that my interaction as her husband and as a Christian should be such that I bring her down here. Now that's unforgivable. Now on any given day, we're gonna do this to each other a little bit, right? Thank you, babe. But in the, in the course of time, we should be elevating each other. Iron sharpeneth iron. It, it makes it better. Christians make each other better. Marriage, God put us together because we're better, happier, more fulfilled. Life is, is better. We ought not ever interact in such a way with each other and especially with the most precious gift God has given us that he's joined together, that they're not more because of the union that we have. Never subtract. 
Always add. That's a really simple goal. Always add to whatever your spouse needs, happiness, joy, fulfillment, ability, whatever else. When you go to heaven one day, one of the judgments you're going to have is for the standing of that person. Because there's no one else as a married couple who can do more for that person than you. And that's a pretty serious Christian responsibility. So second sermon today, just was thinking about that. And it's real simple for me. Elevate people. Elevate your spouse. Don't, don't take away from them. That's not why God put you together, is to ever bring them down. You, you raise them up.